Hello and welcome to Signals from the Hill. My name's Stephen Walsh. Coming up, we'll be chatting to Claire Scully, the creator of Internal Wilderness and Desolation Wilderness, two collections of meditative landscape illustrations published by Avery Hill. But first up, some Avery Hill news. Big congratulations to our pal Tilly Warden for a recent win at the LA Times Book Awards. The graphic novel prize is very prestigious and can count legends of the medium like Art Spiegelman, David Mazzucchelli and Jaime Hernandez among its former winners. This is a big win for Tilly and well deserved for the spectacular work that is on a sunbeam. And now, here's some information on another comics podcast you may enjoy. In the monthly radio show on comics, Panel Borders, you can hear Alan Moore. As you see this gradual rehabilitation of Godzilla. Sandy Toxvig. There's something about the cartoon world that, honestly, in these grim times, is rather preferable to flesh and blood sometimes. Chris Riddell. I have a draw in my studio. Um, it's the naughty draw. And many more writers and artists talking about their craft. More info at www.panelborders.wordpress.com. Some news now on an upcoming event at many of our favourite shops. Every year, the first Saturday of May is Free Comic Book Day, where publishers produce a range of titles that are designed as showcases or jumping on points for their books. Those are comic shops across the UK, and indeed the world, will be taking part, and you can find the shop closest to you that's participating by going to www.freecomicbookday.com and clicking on the Find a Shop tab to use their store locator. Personally, I'll be at Gosh Comics in Soho in London, who, as well as giving away free comics, also put on an amazing array of events across the day, including the kids' comic-making workshop, artists doing live window paintings, and signings with creators from publishers like Rebellion, Bog Eyed Books, and Oni Press. Head over to www.goshlondon.com for a full list of guests and the complete lineup of events. Wherever you do end up going, though, please remember that although the shops are giving away free comics, they've still had to pay to get them into stock. So try and make some sort of purchase if you can to make the whole enterprise worthwhile for everyone. And now, I'll chat with Claire Scully. Hi Claire, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, thanks. So this is probably the most intimidated I think I've been going into (laughs) a chat. Because first of all, just to let people peek behind the curtain, we've never met. We've never spoken before. Like, even if um, I've not met people before... I tend to know them through other people. I know you for Avery Hill, obviously. But yeah, we've never met at a show or chatted at some sort of event. So yeah, this should be interesting for all of us. Mm, well, I, I, I'm pleased that I seem to have some sort of sense of elusiveness there. Most people that I interview on the show I've met before or know through the comic scene in London, but you're not a fixture on the comic scene in London, of course. No. No, it's it's something that I'm... I'm on the periphery of, I would say, and it's actually quite, I, I quite like being on the periphery of things. I think the um, the work that I make in itself is a sort of a peripheral sort of view of the world, almost sort of look, looking, looking out, looking on the edge, looking, you know, from further away and observing, really. Having read an interview with you, I know that you do enjoy some comics. You mentioned liking the work of uh, Tom Gould and John McNaught. How did you stumble across those ones? I guess the the world of illustration sits really cosily alongside the comic book world. So often people are sort of comic book artists and illustrators, you know, sort of almost leading a double life, so to speak. So I think there's there people that kind of come up just through looking at various books that get published by, you know, the likes of Nobrow, etc. 
Also, I ask that question as if Tom Gould doesn't have a regular stint in a national newspaper. <laughs> as if he's some uh, comics-related secret that no one else knows about. And John McNaught as well. I mean, I thought it was very interesting when you mentioned his name, because part of my sort of remit at Avery Hill is putting together creators and titles that are related to the books we're releasing for uh, the distributors and promoters to use to sort of sell into bookshops. And as soon as I read that, I was like, of course, yeah, you can definitely see uh, a relationship in terms of ideas and and your sort of visual approach uh, with yourself and John Winnell, but it never actually occurred to me, despite being, you know, obviously aware of both of your work. Yeah, well, yeah, I think his work in particular... He's got such an amazing touch for the quiet, for just observational, mundane life. But, you know, just that the idea, part of what I'm quite interested in is sort of this sense of time passing. And he he just does that so beautifully. And there is something, as you say, it's very quiet, it's very understated, but in another way, and you know, I think there's something similar in your work as well. It's so rich as a, a sort of visual experience. There's not, there's no bombast. There's no, you know, obvious dynamism. Like, you know, uh, you can look at a, a page from one of John's books and it'll be a bird in a tree with a cloud in the background and maybe three panels in the bird will look the other way. Uh, but you're hypnotized completely, aren't yeah. you? You're sort of like drawn into it entirely. Absolutely. It's mesmerizing. I think that's what I, find really interesting is is people that can create a world that you just want to you want to go in there you want to spend time there and you want to stay there but it would be fair to say that comics haven't necessarily formed a big part of influencing you to move into art or to even think about the, the the work that you're putting together now no they're not the kind of main driving force they're part of quite a rich tapestry of things that kind of result in me being where I'm at today. I always feel like I I got here by accident. Everything's fluke and accident as far as I'm concerned. That You know, I never intended to be this, but this is what I am, which I I really like and that's partly what I love most about it is because if you're kind of open to it, doors open and you look and you think, yep, that, that looks all right. I'll, I'll go through that one and see where that takes me. So, you know, I, I ended up on an illustration degree, not on purpose. It was I was trying to get onto a photography degree, but didn't didn't quite make the cut for that. But you know, the this sort of it just being open to alternatives is something that's kind of led me to this point. So all the time, I'm just aware of things that that influence but quite quietly influence that quietly kind of help me make decisions on things yeah it's interesting isn't it sometimes you can sort of battle with the fates to try and push through your own vision of what you should be doing and Mm. ignore the fact there's equally positive outcomes 180 degrees from where you uh, were aiming in the first place perhaps just as you say the next door along could also be uh, a rewarding journey as well yeah well I, I mean, it's not necessarily a, always the way, but I, I've often found that when something's, you know, that sort of phrase, the path of least resistance, I found that to be very uh, much a guiding force in my life, that if, if things are becoming too difficult, 
on a certain direction, then perhaps that's not the right direction. And always the, the main things that have made the most impact and the mo- have, have made the most change are things that have just sort of happened very, you know, easily and, you know, sort of effortlessly. And you think, OK, well, that's kind of meant to be then. It's happening that easily. And it seems like that sort of flexibility and openness from you is reflected in, I guess I have to call it interdisciplinary work, where, as you say, then you, you do an illustration degree, but it's not a case of you then slavishly following illustration to the exclusion of anything else to try and pursue a career or, or create a body of work. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's that's right. And I, I think often you have to boil things right down to their fundamentals and their, their basics. And what I didn't want was to spend my life waiting for a weekend you know like sort of working in a crap job that you're just five days a week you're waiting for Saturday and Sunday and then you know that's that's over and I just thought oh that's a terrible way to spend the rest of your life so I, it, it was always really just a case of I just want to get up every day and do something that I love doing and I do that and I'm really I couldn't couldn't be happier doing that get up get up every day and make pictures and uh, again from, from that interview i recall you and, and going back to you talking about looking at the photography deg- degree as an option and some adams is is someone that you cite as a sort of inspiration to you visually yeah no tremendous again someone sort of connected to the landscape there, there was a rule that i'm i'm sure it was ansel adams that you used to use would never ever crop anything so everything that he did was in, intended. So I just really like that idea of someone being so specific about what they want from a piece of work that, that it's completely constructed before it's even take, you've taken a picture. He, know, he knew exactly what he was seeking. I think that's really interesting, just coming at again from a, a, a comics perspective, where I do think, obviously, with comics, there has to be so much consideration as to the framing of a particular panel and what you're including, what you're not including, where you're placing it. So I I think there's a link there to the sort of the contemplation that has to go into creating an image rather than, you know, obviously with Photoshop and various other tools now, you can sort of manipulate images to do, you know, a million different things once you've created them. But I think there's something very interesting about that idea of the work being possibly sort of, 80%, 90% 80%, 90% done before the image is committed. Yeah, I, and I think that's it's a it's a good a good word is commitment. It's it's commitment to a an idea or a story or a, a theme, and and just kind of r- rolling through it. You know, just really really understanding what it is you want to say. Yeah, it sounds healthy for any sort of artistic endeavour, really, doesn't it? Not even, not even necessarily just the visual arts. The idea of preparing yourself and and you know putting so much effort and and working beforehand that when you actually go to perform, in any sense of the word, you're prepared and you you've approached it in such a disciplined way that you've removed a lot of the the doubt and risk that would normally be inherent. In terms of your work, could you, could you sort of describe to us broadly what you do and, and how you do it? Because obviously it's, it covers so many different elements. 
Well, I, I guess I will talk about the work in relation to the Desolation Wilderness, Internal Wilderness books that I've made with Avery Hill. Because they were a series of landscapes and, and everything works for me as an evolution, allowing yourself to acknowledge when you're ready to make a change in your work, when you're, when your work sort of get, when you've done the same thing for so long, you need to keep kind of pushing it forward. I was for a long time working on these, this sort of animal series. I did quite a few adult colouring in books that um, involved these kind of animal portraits of bejeweled creatures, really sort of highly decorative, detailed illustrations of animals. And I started creating those with landscapes within them. And at the time, you know, it was just a, I knew that I needed to change them. So I was thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll try some with, with landscapes in them. But I was never really happy with the landscapes that were in them. So as a, as a, just a kind of project of progression, I just thought, well, just start drawing landscapes. That's the only way you're going to figure out how you want them to be within the animals is to, to do it really practice. So I, they just started as these little, little sketches really just i've got a sketchbook of probably there's there's probably over a hundred of them now of these little six by four landscapes and that's where the internal wilderness came from was just this kind of this idea of pushing what a landscape would be and often they were just from imagination and i'd never really i'd never really drawn from imagination before so it was quite a nice challenge and a, just a really nice way to develop what I was thinking of at the time. And that's where this kind of a lot. I know although they were all in nocturnal landscapes as well. I don't know quite exactly what prompted that in the first place, but then they just they felt very, you know, natural for these places that I'd imagined or, you know, sort of invented to be in this kind of nocturnal wilderness landscape i think that's that's really interesting visually though because just just reading it as 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 a consumer the the, the moon as a constant in the images is really interesting um, <laughs> and it sort of feeds into again similar ideas to uh, sequential storytelling in comics where the way the moon moves around the page draws your eye in a different sort of way but also encourages you to sort of place yourself in relation to it across the series of images. So there's a, a feeling of movement and, and motion within the space. Uh, how, how deliberate was that? Or was it just that, that, you know, the fact that they were nocturnal and that was a, a constant image in the background? The moon as a constant was something that sort of started out just as a, a way to navigate. Um, I'm quite interested in natural navigation. I've got quite a lot of books, actually, that I've read about how to how to tell where you are in relation to other places purely by reading the landscape and there's quite quite interesting things about the moon for that so i i think that was probably something that was current in my psyche at that at that point and just the sense that the yeah that the the moon is something that just always seems to come in and out i guess as well with you know how the you get this almost like seasons with the moon that they they or, or sort of cycle, monthly cycles with the moon where they sort of move across you know in a way that that kind of comes comes in and out of your life i guess 
there's also uh, an interesting relationship to humanity i think in the in the images where it's rather than being purely scenes of landscapes and uh, wilderness there is evidence of humanity um in terms of structures and, and 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 form how important was that to you rather than doing it purely as wilderness with the absence of humans well i, th- I think being a being a londoner i've got a, a sort of a, re- a really strong relationship with the you know kind of the landscape and the out, outdoor environment but i but that's that sense of people within it but but not the personalities just you know the the mark of man on the landscape and yeah I, I i sort of like i like to view the you know little little towns little clusters of kind of community within that but but from afar the idea of the evidence of people is is the thing that drives me with with that it's it's not necessarily showing the people where, where they are or what they're doing it's the mark that they've left or, you know, the fact that they were there or they're going to be there. I, I find that quite interesting. And this year, the follow-up volume in the series, uh, Desolation Wilderness, will be coming out from Avery Hill. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that particular project and, and contrast it perhaps with internal wilderness? So Desolation Wilderness is a place. It's it's a real place in America. I, th- I think it's on the, bo- the border of Nevada and California, but it's, it's probably more in California than Nevada, I would say. But um, so it's a, it's a real place. And I did a residency in Nevada in a place called Silver City with my partner, Stuart Easton, who, who you know, we, we kind of spent about sort of s- seven, seven or eight weeks out in the desert kind of making making our marks and um just the the sort of the hospitality of the people around us that they they just wanted to share everything with us so it just became this you know never-ending adventure of being taken to see petroglyphs in the middle of you know uh, basically not a road going to it so you'd you'd be driving off-road in a four by four up the side of a mountain over that mountain and then into the wilderness and then all of a sudden this sort of petroglyph city would be in front of you or you know just kind of trekking trekking out to the middle of nowhere and and digging for crystals you know digging in the dirt of the 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 mountains and finding crystals just just you know everywhere which was just this magical, you know, ad- adventure is something that you don't get over here. And, and that's kind of what I quite like about this book is this sense of another place, uh, another place that's completely alien to the one that I'm used to. This, you know, uh, this sense of wonder. And so, I, you know, I, I wanted to call it uh, Desolation. I mean, I quite like this kind of wilderness collection that I've got going on, but the, you know, the idea that this place called Desolation Wilderness is almost elusive. It, even though I, I know we've been in there, but you never really know where it is. Uh, you know, you never really know when you're there. And, you know, like, as with most places, you don't always get told that you're now entering into this territory or that territory. You just kind of 
know roughly that that's that's what this wonderful area is and in terms of producing the images i I was aware that for the second book you'd sort of taken a journey and and gone to a specific place rather than generating the images uh from your own imagination as in the first one but i wondered if you'd sort of sketched on the spot or whether you'd sort of tried to capture as much as you could in terms of your memory and then replicate it at a later date I take photographs generally. I don't actually or haven't practiced that much on the spot sketching for a a long time. But most of these were done on the day of going to see somewhere. So we'd go there, we'd experience it, and then I'd draw it from, from memory just to get so that they're often just a sense of the place rather than a a, a duplication or, or like a replication of a, a photographic image it's more the kind of idea of what that was like and how long were you there for just just out of interest about seven weeks i think the last the last time i'm actually trying to plan and organize a, another visit for this summer to go back yeah it sounds like the sort of place that once you've seen it you kind of want to be able to revisit it as much as possible. And just in terms of your relationship with Avery Hill, as I say, with a lot of our creators, I know them from where I used to work in, uh, gosh, in London, um, and know them socially and obviously know Ricky and Dave socially. So sort of am aware of their relationship and how their projects were found by Ricky or Dave or submitted to Ricky or, or Dave. And I just wondered how, was it a case of you spotting Avery Hill and thinking that would be a good place for your work or, or one of Ricky and Dave seeing your work and thinking that would be a lovely thing to have at Avery Hill? Going back to that serendipity, things happening by accident or, you know, just by by fluke, really. Ricky had bought a, a print. So I think he'd seen my work possibly a pick-me-up show that used to happen at Somerset House. And I'd bought a print from from me and we'd sort of shared a, a, a tweet, a, a couple of tweets back and forwards. And um, I, I kind of just put it out there. I was like, I'd like to do a, I'd like to do a little comic book. And yeah, he, he basically jumped at the chance and went, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. We'll, talk to me <laughs> so it, was, it was just one of those right right time right place moments really yeah because of course as you say in terms of being ready for opportunities is one thing from an artist's point of view but obviously for a publisher you have limits in terms of schedules and budget so you know the fact that ricky discovered your work at a time where there was space for it to sort of occupy. Uh, does yeah. point to sort of serendipity's hand once again, doesn't it? Yeah, no, I, it's um, it's smiled down on that um, on that occasion. I live by a lot of rules of karma and uh, things like that. So it's uh, it's it's all it's all the universe handing back to you. And in terms of the 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 project generally, is it something where? you see a particular number of, of volumes or is it something that you'll sort of wait for inspiration for another sort of angle to sort of approach it from? Yeah, it's like a problem I have when I, um, I'm just kind of mucking around and sort of experimenting with ideas and things and I accidentally, say, create 
uh, a letter, so to speak, an and an, a letter of the alphabet. And I think, oh, that's great. I love that. And then I think, oh, I'm going to have to do the whole alphabet now. It, it's, it's, so now that there's two of them, there, there is now this kind of compulsion in my mind thinking, right, then it's, it's, it's got to at least be a trilogy, hasn't it, really? That is, I think, the accepted minimum for uh, yeah. creative works. Uh, now, I thought you were going to say, it's like, you know, when you do a letter, and I thought, well, I've got to do 26 of these now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, maybe not that. It's, um, uh, that would be, yeah. I, I, th- I think at least a trilogy I've got with, with this. Yeah, that seems sort of satisfying, doesn't it? I think in terms yeah, of a, yeah. a package. Three's the magic number. And while you're here, uh, are there any other uh, projects that you'd like to to let people know about, or perhaps also just uh, let people know where they can find out more about you know your your work beyond your books with Avril? I've got quite a lot of yeah, I've got quite a, I've got a lot of projects on the go on on the on the boil. But I, you know, I am a commercial illustrator as well. So I've been, I've been t- taken off of the personal projects for a while to, to work on some, some big commission work, which obviously I can't talk about because, you know, it's the, it's the world that we live in. But the, the personal projects, I, I've got a, a couple of really fun ones that I've been kind of, they start a lot, as with a lot of things, they start over Christmas where, during that. Sort of period where you're spending a lot of time sat indoors eating chocolate and watching good TV, good TV, bad TV. But there's a fine line between them. I'm working on a bit, bit of a, a probably a more comic book, sort of more of a comic book than I've done before, documenting a, a series of mysterious events. Let's say that sounds really um, intriguing. Yeah, no, because there, there was just a few things, and I, often, as is the case with my work, it starts just by me doing one drawing. So it was just like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna draw this thing. So I, I did it, and then it sort of sat there staring at me, saying, "There's more of a story here. There's, there's, there's more of a lead up to this point." So, yeah, that's that's been on the that's been on the go, but as I said, it's gonna going a bit slowly because I'm working on some other things. But then I've also got a much bigger project that's called Parkland that um, eventually it will be a book, but I, I'm a long way off that yet because it's going to be a big book and the drawings are pretty big as well. But it's a, it's a visual kind of, not a documentary, but a sort of historical narrative of sort of locations across North London, which is quite interesting. And I realise as the project keeps going on, it keeps changing. So, it, again, it's it, I'm not quite sure exactly what it's going to be at the end because it's not what it was when it first started already. So, But, yeah, that's that's been going on probably for about a year and a half. So I've been working on that. Do you want to give out the address for your website so people can have a look at any other work that you've got out there? Yeah, so my website is www.clairescully.com. I try to put on as varied amount of work on there as I can without it looking too much like a jumble sale. I always used to feel like my work was like a jumble cell because I work in lots of different media. So, yeah, hopefully hopefully people don't see it and think jumble cell, even though I'm saying jumble cell quite a lot. <laughs> so, 
think that now anyway. Uh, Claire, thank you so much for your time and um, best of luck with the release of Desolation Wilderness. We'll be keeping the listeners informed as to when that hits the shelf so they can grab a copy for themselves. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Looking forward to it. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks to Claire again for talking to us and thank you for listening. See you next month. This show is a Holdfast Network production. Go to holdfastnetwork.com for other programmes you may enjoy.